like I, I, I'll, I always forget if I don't, I'm afraid I don't turn it on back there and then nobody can hear me and then everybody on the recording is just like, why is that guy just standing there? We're just going to kind of get right into it. Um, for everybody, my last message, I forgot to give the title. It was pruning season. So we're going to, the title of this one um, might be a little on the nose, but it's communion. So let's start in John 6, and then we'll go from there. John 6 and verse 47, I'm going to read a couple here through uh, 59. 47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Father, I thank you for giving us your word, and I ask that you let me step aside and you step forward, Jesus, and just let it be your word here tonight, not my intellect and not my knowledge, but just come forth and give the message that you have and just touch everybody here, Lord, as we, we come to meet and take observance of what we just read. And I just ask that you bless each and every one of us and bless the reading of your word. The, the ground has been tilled, Lord, so please just plant that, that holy seed and let it grow in our lives that that light can shine from us, that your light will shine from us and just be with us and guide us and bless me, Lord, as I bring this message and I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. You can be seated. So this is... I'm kind of stealing the first part of um, a message of Brother Branham's titled Communion. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit from it. Uh, 1964, I believe. 
if I can find it there. Yep, 62. Sorry, I was off. 62, titled Communion. But let me ask you a question first. What does the word communion mean? We all kind of have this, well, I mean, when we think from a Christian standpoint, communion, you automatically think that this is communion. What will happen here is communion. But the definition of the word communion, most of the definitions, so from Webster Merriam Dictionary, it talks of the elements and what happens there. But I liked this one. It's an intimate fellowship or rapport. So the base word of communion would be commune. So what does that mean? To communicate intimately. Brother Branham says in, in that sermon, commune means to talk. To have to. Communion really means to have fellowship, talk with each other. If you talk on the phone to someone, you carry a conversation there. You are communing one with another. And if we should come aside and stand back in the back of the building, any, any individual in the pastor or any two people, they are communing one with another. Now, you do not commune by radio because you cannot talk back or television. But when you can by telephone because you are communing one to another, just, just isn't one side. It is, I cannot commune with you now because you do not talk back. So therefore, I would not be coming to hear a minister deliver his message. That would not be. Coming together to communing. Communion would not be that. If you come just to commune with the minister, you'd call him to one side or any individual and commune with him or she. But to what we come into, communion is for each of us as individuals to commune with Christ. That is communing then communing is not altogether one doing the talking, us doing all the talking, but waiting and seeing what he has, what he says back to us. Now there's where many times that we make our great mistakes is we do all the talking and don't wait and give him a chance to answer back. We go sometimes say, Lord, I would that you would do so and so and so and so, amen, and get up and leave. Now, that really isn't communing. That's going and asking a favor. But when you stay long enough until he answers back, that's when you're getting communion. Communion with the Lord. Now, and a great way to commune is to be agreed. You must agree upon certain things. Now, and it's strange that sometimes when we get those things, I know that we are all guilty of this in some way or another. And if you're not, I'm glad that I can be in such presence of perfection. But many of us be like, oh, look at the time. I got to get my prayer in. Lord, can you be with these people in this and be with there? Kind of like what Brother Sam talked about. Be with that group over there and that group over there. Thank you. Bye. Amen and leave. And you just leave it at that. But. I mean, how would you like it if I came to have a conversation with you and I was like, hey, Sam, how was your day? Well, that's great, but here's what's going on in mine, and all right, I'll see you later. And you're just like, what just happened? But we as humans, especially here in America, I think it's even worse, we have this fast food Christianity. 
and we want to be able to pull up, tell them what we want, go up, get it from the window, and drive away and never have a conversation. You never want them to talk back to you. We're just as guilty. If I come up and I go, Aaron, how was your day? What's the common, or how are you doing today? You want them to say good and leave it at that. You really want to blow somebody's mind, tell them how your day's really going and see if they actually care about you or not because most people will just kind of start inching away and inching back. So why do we do that with Jesus? Why do we do that when we pray? Why do we try to have this fast food mentality and just get it done, get it out of the way and leave? He's not a genie. You're not just asking for three wishes. Like Brother Branham said, It's you're not just asking for a favor. He is the all-powerful God. He is the all-creating God. So why would you demean him to that point? So what does it mean? I was telling me go back. I was telling Erica and maybe the kids if they were listening I'm going to kind of have a topic and it's going to feel like I go away from the topic. Here's the point where we go away from the topic. What does it mean to be a Christian? If I were to ask you, if I had if you were to meet somebody that knew nothing about any religion and they said, well what are you? And you're like I'm a Christian. They go, what does that mean? go Christ-like, and they go, what does that mean? kind of starts getting hard to, most of the world, most of the world knows a little bit. Most religions will at least reference Jesus Christ. So if you say Christ-like, they might not know exactly what you mean, but they go, okay, he's talking about that Jesus guy a couple thousand years ago. So how do others know that you're a Christian? I had a friend back home. Dad and I have told stories about him. Um, and he used to have to tell everybody that he was country. I'm country. I'm a redneck. I'm a hick. I'm this. I'm that. I've always said, if you got to tell people anything, if I, if I have to tell people that I'm a Christian, then I'm not being a good Christian. If I have to tell people that I'm a machinist while they're at work with me, I'm probably not a good machinist. If he has to show up to a job and he's been doing framing or something all day and somebody comes up and goes, oh, what are you doing? You're probably not a good framer. Let's just be honest. If you're hanging windows and somebody's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm playing tennis. I don't. Either they're not observant, which is a good possibility but you shouldn't have to tell somebody so why do we have to tell people that we are Christians because we are not living to the example so let's go back to that person that doesn't know anything about any religions keep them in the back of your mind for a minute so what makes you different from a Muslim I guarantee if we got a devout Muslim in here, 
they could be they are much more religious than you. Follow along with me. Don't 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 stone me yet. They are loyal to a fault in prayer and attendance to the to their mosque. They will never miss a day. They will never miss a prayer and they do it at least twice a day. And they always look the same direction. They have to look towards Mecca which is the Dome of the Rock, but towards Mecca. So I never thought about that. Growing up, knowing a little bit about Muslim in Tennessee, everybody, they faced east that way, but they always faced east. And then I went to Afghanistan, and they kind of faced north. Then I went to Korea, and they faced west because they're looking to a centralized point, the Dome of the Rock. It doesn't move. It's not always east. So wherever you're at, they will wash their feet. There are now buildings and companies that are putting in specific foot washing stations for Muslims so that they can wash their feet because they will not enter into that prayer with dirty feet. And then they will lay out their prayer mat. They will sing some songs and they will kneel in prayer. They don't stand up and pray. Every time they're on their knees and on their face and they'll praise and pray and praise and pray. Like I said, they don't miss church. They don't miss holy holidays. They don't miss a one of them. And they are very to the point that I've told y'all while I was in Qatar, we had to not celebrate Ramadan, but we had to respect it. It is their base. I mean, that's you're in a foreign country. You should do those things. They won't eat during the day, and even when it was 100 and almost 30 degrees outside, they will not drink water outside of a building. And it's 130 degrees outside. Their observances, their fasting, they'll do that for a whole week. So let's flip it a little bit. Who in here knows what Yom Kippur is? Anybody? A little bit? When is Yom Kippur? We're not going to get, we're not going to get like, it's the seventh month of a Jewish word I can't pronounce, the tenth day or something. But this year, when is Yom Kippur? It is the holiest holiday in the Judaism and Samaritism belief systems the holiest holiday so when is it it's tuesday it's october 4th it changes because their calendar is a little different it is centered on atonement and repentance i think that's pretty important i mean that's a pretty important i'm not saying that we need to celebrate i had a friend that he did not miss one Jewish holiday. He was Pentecostal, but they celebrated every one of them. They didn't miss a one of them. The Feast of Trumpets, the Horns, Pentecost, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, didn't miss a one of them. If for nothing else, I think that some of these, you go, man, I'm not Jewish. Why do I need to know when, when Yom Kippur is? I celebrate my, you know, I repent when I need to repent. I pray when I need to pray. Okay. 
is the day of Pentecost. When do people celebrate the day of Pentecost? Once again, calendar is different, so it changes. The original day of Pentecost, if for nothing else, does everybody in here believe that the day of Pentecost, when they were all in the upper room and the Holy Ghost fell down with licks of fire, the shape of shaping in tongues, and everybody spoke in other tongues, everybody believed that in here? Should be kind of important to everybody that believes it. So when is it? I didn't know until I looked it up either. But that should be important to, I'm not saying we need to stop, we need to have a feast, we need to do these things, but it's kind of one of those things that you as a Christian that firmly believe that and you say, I believe in this, I believe that he came down and broke himself up so that he could be inside of us, so that we could pray to him, so that we could have fellowship with him, so that we could commune with him. I might need to at least have a month. Get in the area. This year it was June 5th. Next year it's May 28th. So, we go back to that person that knows nothing about any religions. And you and that devout Muslim were explaining what you believe. What you believe. I want you to look into yourself right now. What do you believe? We can all come in here and say amen. And even saying amen, let me, I, I got to touch on that for a minute. If you say amen, you are saying that you agree with what is said. It means so be it. So that is just as important as what's being said. I would much rather, I would rather, but if you don't agree with it, don't say amen. We can talk about it later on. You can come get me. We can get together as a church. Whatever you need for us to have that conversation, like Brother Sam said this morning about, well, you know, if I'm preaching on this and there's something that you don't quite agree with, let's talk about it. I would much rather us sit down and talk about something than for you to agree to something, sign your name on something, put your stamp on something, and it not be in here. Okay, since we're on that. So, if you and that devout Muslim are standing side by side and explaining And you go, let's say you take it in turns, and you say, okay, I believe that I need to pray to my God. And he stands over here, and he says, I believe that too. I do it twice a day. I wash my feet. I cleanse myself. I cleanse, I don't know if they say soul. I cleanse that. I put on a covering. I lay down on my, and they go, what do you do? Well, I just kind of walk around. They're like, okay. Checkpoint to him, right? Okay, well. Um, do you always go to church? Well, I mean, unless it's too cold or too hot or the wind's too blowing or the wind's too dry or, or, or maybe the music's too loud or the music's too quiet or that preacher talks too long or that preacher talks too short or that one's too loud and that one's not loud enough. Well, what, about, what about you, Mr. Muslim? Oh, I don't miss. 
I don't care who's preaching. As long as he believes what comes out of the Quran, I'm there. He gets another check, right? Okay, well, tell me about Jesus. What do you believe? You say that you're a Christian. I say that what is that? You said I am like Jesus, and he says he is a Muslim. You go, okay, what does your Bible say about Jesus? And you say, oh, well, he's a creator, and, and he lived a perfect life. Muslim, what do you say? Oh, I say the same thing. I don't know if you know that, but the Quran says that he was a creator, even as a child, 12 years old, created a bird from mud, breathed life into it. And then they go, okay, well, do you worship Jesus? And the Muslim says, no, we follow the teachings of the prophet Muhammad. And they say, what about you? And you go, yes, I do. They go, okay, we've now found something that is polar opposites. And they go, okay, Sam, where's your prophet buried? And you go, oh, oh boy, here's going to be a fun one. He's not. He was, but then he wasn't. And uh, he raised from the dead. And they go, Where do you, where's your prophet? And they go, oh, right there. And they go, okay, well, does anybody else? There is no other belief system in the world that they're prophet, their God, their whatever you want to say, that they cannot point you to where they are buried. I can point you to where the stone was. And I watched, I've talked about this before, but it, it's, it's so amazing to me. So you talked about the Roman soldier that lost his ear. And then it was put back on. How do you think he felt on that walk back out of the garden. What am I doing? He just put my ear back on. You don't put ears back on. They're not Velcro. And it works. Probably works better than it did before. So he has this long walk back. And then there were other Roman soldiers that whipped him. And there were some that made fun of him and they were they blindfolded him. Probably just put a whole bag on his head, a whole sheath, and said, you know, who's hitting you if you're such a good prophet? And they beat him for you, and they made fun of him for you, and they tore him and tortured him and pulled his beard out, and they didn't just set that crown of thorns on his head. They twisted it and hammered it and just forced it into his head for you, if, if you didn't know why that was done. And then that other Roman soldier still sitting there going, still there, still works. I don't know about this. centurion he was probably there he knows that he just came probably a couple weeks ago a couple days ago and Jesus said I've like you said I've not found such faith in this whole country not just in this town or this section of town or in all of Israel and he's standing there 
watching this happen. He might even have been told to take part in what's happening. I was military for 15 years. I've talked to a lot of people. I've met a lot of people. I was watching a show the other day, and they were actually having, uh, it was a show. It was not a documentary. It was a show uh, that was a fictional show. And they were having a, a bunch of veterans got together for a PTSD group. I've sat in those PTSD groups out here at uh, Robert J. Dole, the VA hospital. And uh, you don't realize the things that other people went through until you hear it straight from their mouth. And you go, oh, well, America would never do bad things. We have the Geneva Convention. We have all these. That's not how it's seen at this level a lot of times. We don't get to see the bigger picture when you're out there in the desert. When the children of Israel were walking around for so long, all they saw was sand and a mountain. And they're just like, hey, what am I going to see tomorrow? Probably some sand and a mountain. And every now and then there's a bush. And then big things happen and we got a rock following us, giving us water. That's pretty cool. But then you complain about that. So those of us that are down there on that bottom level, those, those footmen, the, the flunkies of the house in, the, in, in those days, you don't see why your job is to wash feet. Why is your job to wash all the garbage and feces off this visitor's feet, then dry his hands and put alabaster on it, and then wash his face and put alaba crushed alabaster on that too, so that he doesn't just smell good, he looks good, but you're still filthy. So why? Why is that your job? Why is your job right now, why is God telling you to do this dirty work? If God told you right now to get up and walk out to Sedgwick County Detention Center, or let's make it even better, he told you to go to El Dorado, go talk to the BTK because he wants you to witness to him. Let's make it like real big, right? Well, one, he's not going to tell you to go if there's not a reason to go. But if he told you to walk out there, how many of you would get up and probably get in your car? Because it's kind of warm. I mean, it's not, it's a long way. El Dorado's like a 45-minute drive, maybe an hour from here. So it's a couple hours walk. I don't want to do that. I won't get there till late. Maybe I'll just go tomorrow. Because all we see is the weather and the sand and the road and those trees over there. But when God looks down at it, you're only this far away. Because one, let's think about that. The whole world is in God's hands. So from Bentley, Kansas to El Dorado, Kansas, isn't even from fingertip to fingertip. It's not even across one ridge in his fingerprints. It's this close together. So what happens when we sit down and commune with Jesus? You talked about it when he said, John, come up higher, come up higher, come up higher, come up higher. What happens when you come up higher? I've been in a lot of planes. 
have flown long distances. When you're at 30,000 feet, El Dorado, Kansas, and Bentley, Kansas look about this far apart. So when we commune with Jesus and we continually come up higher and come up higher, he's not just going to say, all right, now you're with me. He's going to go look at the bigger picture. This is why I wanted you to start that little church in Bentley, Kansas. This is why I wanted you to move halfway across the country. This is why you had to deal with all those things. When I was in Afghanistan, there was a young man that went with me. Uh, he was one of the guys, just one of the guys that went with me. I, I mean, he was technically, I was second or I was second in command of the group that went with us. But he was a Christian growing up, um, you know, as a kid, went to church with his parents, and then, and then we get to Afghanistan, and I don't remember any of this. He told me about it later on. I don't remember a lot of Afghanistan. It's kind of traumatic. Um, but he said that uh, it would just be little things. We would just have conversations, and um, there's Bibles everywhere in Afghanistan. It's kind of funny. Not every shop has one. People know where to go, but they only want to go there when they're being shot at. Um, kind of goes back to that fire insurance. But he would have questions, and we would have little miniature Bible studies, just little, little Bible studies. I'd have questions. Mom and Dad would call because it's like a 15-hour difference or whatever. We'd look it up. Little miniature Bible studies all the time. He went back like the next year, maybe two years later, and because of what those little Bible studies did for him, he then decided to have a little bit larger Bible studies for everybody else, and he created. And I was like, hey, man, you know, I saw it on Facebook or whatever, and I was like, hey, it's really good that you did this. And he said it was because of the ones that you and I did. I said, I don't ever remember doing that. He said, we did. We'd talk to your dad sometimes. We'd do this. We'd do that. But we always had these little Bible studies. And I was like, okay. I never knew that I was making that impact. How many times do we go through our daily lives and run into somebody and just say something little and you don't know what that smile was to them? I read a story the other day about a guy that had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, and at the top of the Golden Gate Bridge, he had left a note. And he said, when I woke up today, I said, I'm going to walk to the Golden Gate Bridge to jump off of it. If one person smiles at me, I will turn around and go home. The note was left at the top. He was found in the river below. Not one person, and that's all it took. So we look at ourselves and we go, man, my day's going horrible. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody has it as bad as me. Nobody has this. Nobody has that. But like Brother Sam said this morning, not one of us got thrown into a fiery furnace in between services. Not one of us got thrown into a den of lions. There's more than one of us standing here and not having to be fed during a big drought. We're, I mean, we're having a drought. We've had a little bit of rain. But you're not sitting by a brook being fed by crows, 
if the rapture had happened that day, he was by himself. Understand that. We at least can talk to each other, and I can have a conversation with you, and you can encourage me, and I can encourage you, and then can encourage somebody else. He only could commune with God. That's it. None of us are in that place. None of us have those things going on in our life. None of us have had to stand on top of Mount Carmel and have a have a battle with another religion on whose God's going to show up. If God had not answered the way that he answered, they would have killed him. They would have killed him. It already talked about how many were there. There was a bunch of people there to watch. There was a bunch of people there as Baal worshipers and stuff. And then he was still by himself. You're a little outnumbered in a physical sense. If we got every Christian in the world together, everyone that claims to be a Christian, if we got everyone together, we would still be highly outnumbered. We would be highly outnumbered by just Muslims and Buddhists and some of these other religions, not even counting the atheists and agnostics and still be outnumbered so you go Matt that's not very positive there's only 27 of us here today but what if all 27 of us had the faith that Elijah had on top of that mountain once again they were in a drought they weren't happy about the water that he told them to pour on them water was like gold in that drought and then he said do it again do it again. I don't want anything to even look dry. None of that's in my notes, just so you know. So what happens when you commune with Jesus more? If you sit down and talk to your friend, let's say that Brother Sam and I, every day we get together and we talk. At some point, you will start sounding more like each other. Not like, but the topics that you, you talk about, you have mutual interests. Maybe you're like, well, this isn't as important as this is, so I'm going to talk about this more because him and I have a better conversation on that. So what happens if you sit down and talk to Jesus more? If I can do that with another human being that is dying in the flesh and I'm dying in the flesh and my mind runs all different directions all the time, then what would happen if I sit down and I don't just talk to God, but I listen to him talk back to me? The words that created the rock that you're sitting on talk back to you and tell you something. So when we talk to him, but more importantly, listen, I know that that is a problem. And then Satan, as soon as God tells you something, as soon as the Holy Spirit moves on your heart and gives you that little that little bit of word or whatever, Satan comes in and yells and goes, no, that was your own thoughts. 
that sounded just like you. It can't be anything else. I heard a preacher say once, well, what voice do you trust more than any other voice in the world? What voice do you know better than any other voice in the world? Your own. So if God talks to you, this is something that I've really started, I know that I've had to work on. And it's one of those, was that you or was that me? And then I think about it and I go, that's not what I was thinking about. I'm thinking about, we'll just say something over here. I'm thinking about a piano and then God's like, I need you to go to Sedgwick. And you're like, why would he do that? That has to be him. You go, but it sounded like me and Satan tells you very quickly, that sounds like you. Once again, we, you know, we talked about, we had the example, if, if Levi was back there telling a story and Aaron's up here just screaming into the microphone, who are you going to hear? Satan is the one, he's going to scream at you so that you don't hear that still small voice in the back. But we as the sheep, as you talked about this morning, sheep know their shepherd's voice. And they will be able to go, that's not right. That's scary. What I got to listen. What am I listening for? And they get quiet. And they just, I mean, if you ever watch sheep, you watch sheep a lot of times. And yeah, they'll run off and get lost. But you watch one. If you had a whole herd of sheep here and one ran over there, it'll make it so far. And they go, wait a minute, I'm by myself. And they stop. And they just stand there. And they're listening for the rest of them to say, hey, get back over here. For the shepherd to say, hey, come here a minute. Just come back over here. Jesus is saying, just come here and sit down with me a minute. It's not too hot outside. It's not too cold outside. I'll make shade if we need it. Just come sit down with me a minute. So there's something in the machinist world. Uh, people call it all different things, but it's called a comparometer or something. And the basis of it is, is you take a mylar blueprint that is the outline of the part, whatever, if there's holes drilled through it, and you put it on this thing that shines a light through it. Okay? And it just kind of lights up the back, but it's kind of dull. And then you put the product that you made on a little vise, and you can adjust it up and down and in and out, and there, there's a light that shines onto your product. And you fine-tune it to where those edges are perfectly crisp. And then you look at it against that pro the, the example, your blueprints that are the perfect piece, and you go, does it line up? We had the same thing. It was kind of different. We had a light table, and you'd roll out bigger parts that didn't fit on this little vise. you roll out this big Mylar blueprint. We would literally take our part and lay it on top of the blueprint, and does it line up? From every angle, no matter how I look at it, does it line up? Now, you can can kind of pull it back a little bit and blur the lines. You can blur the line a little bit and go, oh, it's close enough. I'm close enough, right? What I'm producing is close enough. So if the Holy Ghost was on this side and Jesus is on this side, 
Jesus himself. He's standing beside you. And the Holy Ghost shines that light at what I'm producing. And I'm holding it here like this. And he shines that light. Is it going to meet up with, with my example? Am I going to have to blur the lines and say, hey, back up a little bit so the lines aren't as sharp? How about you? If the Holy Ghost is here and Jesus is here and I just stood here, am I going to line up? Are you going to line up? Erica told me that I had to make sure that I didn't speak too long today. Um, there's a lot to say when we're talking about lining up with a literal perfect example. Those Mylar blueprints are still created by man and he could skew a line a little bit or say, oh, I'm going to go to the top of the tolerance. Maybe my tolerance is plus or minus five or ten thousandths. And you go, oh, well, that, that's not a lot. That's a mile in my world. I'd love to have plus or minus ten thousandths. Uh, the thickness of like two sheets of paper, maybe three sheets of paper. I'd love to have that. But Jesus is right at nominal. He is the perfect zero. If, if it is a perfect half inch, he is a perfect half inch. Down to as many decimal places as you want to go. So if the Holy Ghost was to shine that light on you, and Jesus is standing there saying, I am the example. Are you going to line up today? And you go, there is no way, Matt, that I can line up to a perfect Jesus. And I go, you're right, but. There's always a but, right? He makes a way. If there is anything outside that example tonight. I want you to think about it and think about your life and think about anything that has gone on that you go, that's not Jesus. This little thing I did, that's not Jesus. I've told y'all about when I was like five years old and I took the Andes peppermint thing from Piccadilly. Mom made me go back in and pay my five cents to get it. Even at five, nobody taught me how to steal. I didn't know I was stealing. I thought they were free. But that's still something. That is not Jesus. So Satan goes, you were five. You didn't know any better. You don't need to repent of that. That little thing, don't worry about that. That little thing that you said the other day, don't worry about that. That's not a big deal. You're a human. Everybody loses their temper and says something. The person you said it to understands. I had to repent of that. When I was in Cutter, I lost my temper on a guy. I had to repent of that. And I stood outside his door and waited for him to come home. And I said, I'm sorry. He said, dude, I'll forgive you. I know that it 
it's hot, all this is going on. I said, no, you don't understand. I have to. I have to do this. I cannot go, because that's, you know, I told you all that's when I was preaching. I cannot go and stand behind this holy desk and say that everything's okay if I have not given it to Christ. In 1 Corinthians, way down around 31, 1 Corinthians 11, 31. Does anybody not believe what this says? Anybody? We can have the conversation afterwards. So everybody believes every word in here. Everybody believes every word. 11, 31. We're going to get into the rest of this a little bit. I'm not, I, I cannot, there is no way I have enough time to get into this whole chapter. But 1131, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So what I want you to do right now is just stop and think. Last time I said think about the past week, the past couple months, I need you to go as far back as your memory can go. Everything that you have done that was not Jesus. So how do we know what Jesus is? Everybody believes everything this says. So everybody in here knows what Jesus is. We've had, we're now on part five or whatever of who is God, what is God, where is God. Today, this morning, was a great depiction of what is God. I asked Erica, I said, you know, was that part five? She goes, I don't know. I felt like it was a little off topic. I said, I think that it was a perfect what is God. God is the head of the pyramid. God is the head. If you go back just a little bit in Corinthians, it talks about, in 1 Corinthians here, it talks about how three, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Everybody believes everything it says. Nobody said no. We'll have that conversation later. So either you lied to me. We can have that conversation afterwards or before communion too. So if everybody believes that, then I want you to think about everything that you've ever done that is not Christ-like. And I've met a lot of people that will go, oh, well, uh, Christ flipped tables. He had a temper problem. Oh, well, Christ beat him, guys, and he did this and he did that. That was a righteous love. That love was for what was going on. And I guarantee you that most of those people that he did that to went, I needed that. I let my job, which is what that was for them, come between literally me and God. Because God was in the temple they're in the outer court. They're literally between everybody that comes in and goes in there. So think about everything that you've ever done that was not Christ-like. And you go, okay, I got it. I can think of things. It's not that hard. But now let, let's narrow it down a little bit. Anything that is outside that example tonight, I want you to give it to Jesus. Get it pruned before we take communion, before you take this communion. 
before you walk into that holy of holies. That's the way that I look at this, and I would pray that you would look at it the same way. We are not just taking bread and juice. We are not taking bread and wine. It is not It is not just something that we're just kind of, oh, there we go, I do this every now and then, everything's fine. You are walking into the holy of holies. You are the priest that is now walking in to the holy of holies that the, has to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And we've talked about how they would tie the rope around their waist. Don't have the doubt of a rope tied around your waist. Do not walk up here and go, well, just in case I die, everybody else will pull me back out. Know that he has sent the Holy Ghost to baptize you with an unquenchable fire to cleanse you. If you will submit and make right those things that need to make be made right. Whether you've sinned against God or your fellow man, wife, husband, child, friend, parent, grandchild, or grandparents. If anyone needs to take a minute and I mean this wholeheartedly, judge yourself so that God doesn't have to do the judging. We've talked about that, how we as bride, we will be, we will be chastened and judged here and corrected and made perfect before the white throne. I don't want to take the chance at the white throne judgment for God to say, you lived up. I want to show up and him go, you're good, pass on through. Whew. I'm good. I want it to happen here. Let me take it in this mortal body, not in an immortal body. So if anyone needs to take a minute, if you need to step outside and make a phone call to somebody, if you need to come up here at our little altar and kneel down and make it right before God, the Lord is here. The altar is open. Do not take these elements unworthily. Back into 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. We're just going to go up a couple, and this is where I'm going to close on this, and then I want everybody to just think for a minute before Brother Sam comes up. But 27 through 30. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And then I read about how if, you, uh, if we judge ourselves, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one of another. Now if we go back and we read about this, he's correcting this church because they were coming together and making it a meal. 
they were drinking and getting drunk, and he said, do you not have your own houses to eat, drink, and get drunk at? That is not what this is about. If you need to talk to somebody else that is currently in this room, pull them aside, go talk to them privately, and make it right with them. We've talked about that, how some things are a sin against God, but just like the lady that Brother Branham talked about, that her husband had cheated and then come to find out, or she had cheated and then come to find out he had cheated, that is against each other. If I said something that offended Joseph, I need to make that right with Joseph. God will move in that when we come together and we make it right. But if I offend Joseph, that's not an offense to God. That's an offense to Joseph. So I'm going to close in prayer, and everybody just please take some time. Do not, please do not come up here and take of these elements and have something that Satan is telling you that's not that big of a deal. Because that big of a deal, there's a reason that it was mentioned twice if you take it unworthily. There's a reason that he, with it, it's not like he said it here and then way back here. They're back to back, one verse in between. I do not want to be guilty and have Jesus' blood on my hands in this sense. I want to be covered and cleansed by his blood, not be guilty of his murder. Father, I thank you for using me here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you move on everybody's mind and hearts. And if there is anything that is unclean in, in them, among them, that they need to make right with anybody, whether it be a phone call or somebody that is in this room, or if it is just private between you and them, I pray, Lord, that they do that right here, right now. Move on them and convict them, Lord, that they will come up here cleansed by that unquenchable fire let the holy ghost just move on them and clean them and take and prune prune them and get those things out of the way that they can take of this worthily and they will be worthy to take communion tonight father because we are not worthy in and among ourselves we are only worthy in you you are the head of not only the church, you are my head, and if I am not in you and you are not in me, then I cannot partake in this tonight. I thank you, Lord, for showing us these things, and I thank you, Lord, for just using me to get, the, to get these points across and to share this word with your people in your house. We do not deserve to even be here in this building. We do not deserve to be alive tonight. We deserve to, to, to be taken and nailed to our own cross and beaten. You did not deserve to take those things for us, but I thank you, Lord, for everything that you did on my behalf. You did that for my healing, not to show your power and your greatness and and just how big and bad and powerful you are, but you did that just so that my toothache could go away, so that my little things that are plaguing me, that are keeping me from you, you did that for me because you love me beyond human comprehension. 
I pray, Lord, that you bless everyone here that comes up to take communion tonight. Let them have such a blessing. Let it be a double portion. Lord, bless them in ways and let them let just shine through them that everyone sees and wants the joy that comes from you. They want what we have. They want to know why we can walk through this world today and have joy and peace and happiness in our hearts everywhere we go. We have a song on our lips and praise on our tongues. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. very, very serious. And I, I, I thought the last time that I preached three months ago that I didn't think I could make it any more serious and more grave and more heavy what happens if you do this unworthily. And I, and I, I, I want to bring it that strong and I so appreciate what the Lord has used our brother tonight. There is a very grave reality to doing this without your heart right. And that is that, that is that part, <clears throat> and that's a more of a part of our, again, like we said this morning, about headship of the Lord Jesus, how you would surrender your life to him and let him look you over because we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Now, you understand that, maybe think of it like this, when the, 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 you would bring back in the Old Testament, you would bring your spotless lamb, you'd bring it before the priest, it had to be perfect, otherwise it wasn't accepted. Now imagine tonight, as you come in this place, that you would bring your life, you would bring your heart, you would bring your soul, you would bring all your memory, bring everything you've done, and you'd bring it before the priest, the Melchizedek, the high priest that's here now, and say, Lord, search me, search me and try me. I don't want nothing between you and me, Lord. Now I, I said that, and we, we preached it hard. And we want to preach it hard so you understand. I don't want, I can't have this on my conscience. He can't have it on his conscience that you would say, well, I was never told. That, that I was never told how serious this was. I, I was never told that if I walk up here and I've got a grudge against somebody, if i got an odd against somebody, i got something to confess, that I can literally eat it and die. It's our responsibility to tell you. And that's the heaviness of it. And that's that, that's that part that deals with this flesh. But there's a positive to it. That if you take the bread of life, if you take the light of the world and put him in this body, it'll change you. It'll change you in such a way that you couldn't be able to form into words. You're like, yesterday I felt lonely. Yesterday I felt down. Yesterday I did, I was discouraged. Yesterday I was worried about what would happen. I don't know if my job would work and my social security would run out. What if all these things would come down? But then I took that light of God, that life of God, and I put a little more inside of me. And I ain't the same as I was when I walked out. There's the sweetness of his character. There's the beauty of our blessed Redeemer. There is a graveness to it, but there's a beauty all understanding his character his attribute his
his light, his life. We read that to you, I think it's out of Matthew 13 a couple weeks ago, about that woman that took, you know, leaven to be like the kingdom of heaven, and, and she put it in amongst this bread, amongst this wheat, and it leavened the whole lump. She took the kingdom of heaven, she took the light of God. Now you take that as a type, and if this is meant to be his blood and meant to be his flesh, and you'll take that and you'll bring that, that light of God, of that, that Zoe, eternal life of Elohim, and you take that and you physically put it inside you. You're not just Sam Parker anymore. You're not just Elias Sarand anymore. You're not just put your name in here. I've been changed. See, you have to believe. That's what's happened. See, it always comes back to faith. You've got to believe that's what you're about to do. That's why this is so serious. You're not standing before just a, a, a projector and a temporary wall in Bentley, Kansas. You, again, you're, you're moved out of this realm, and you, by faith, believe that I've come before his throne. And I'm taking the very bread of God, the very blood of God, the very flesh, the very life of the Creator. And I'm not just doing it in front of my friends and just some of you. Well, nobody really knows me. You're doing it right now in the presence of the Word who discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart that knows you better than you know yourself. So when He examines your sacrifice, you better be sure He'll look you over real good. Is it serious to you tonight? Very serious to you tonight. Now, you can take that and say, Lord, I made everything right between you and me. There is not one thing between you and I. There's not one thing between me and my brother and my sister. Lord, I stand completely clean in your presence. And you feel a little more the world starts slipping away. You feel like gravitation might be letting go a little more. Because all of this is meant to change you from this realm to that realm. Now I want to take a few minutes, just, just a few minutes to stand here with our eyes closed. And it, if there's nothing in your heart that you need to make right, praise the Lord. It would be a good time just to take and just stand in His presence. I can feel Him here tonight. I hope that you can as well that you'd become acutely aware of the Lord Jesus in this room. I pray that it's been made real to you, that it's not just something to do, not just a tradition. But Lord, I want to take the very life of that scripture that you said, you eat this, and it's me. I want to take all the word in my heart, Lord. I want to take all of you tonight, Lord. Just for a few moments, stand Think about his sacrifice for you. Think of how he chose to wash you. See, this creator could have easily created a, a, a brazen laver on this side. Just like the priests, they would have to wash their hands and wash their feet before they walked in that Shekinah glory. And that's the type of our foot washing. That you have to do that. That's a part of it. That's a part of kneeling before your Lord Jesus. As you kneel tonight to wash your brother or your sister's feet, you're not kneeling at their feet. You're kneeling to wash the feet of the Lord Jesus. And he could have taken that brazen labor and made it to where you could have washed in that fountain and be made completely whole. But that was not his will or his purpose. His purpose was to shed his blood and that you would want to be washed in it. Think on these things.